What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to an episode of Bloke in a Bar, brought to you by Bloke Beer, the best beer in all the land. It's getting warmer, boys and girls. Get into your local, grab a case of Bloke Beer. It is designed for warmer months because it's a session lager, really easy drinking, fresh, crisp beer. Sit back. You've worked all week. The World Cup's on. You've got a bunch of sport on. The perfect beer is Bloke Beer. Now, we are in every single Celebrations Bottolo, IGA Plus Liquor, Porter's Liquor in New South Wales and ACT. That's right. If you live in New South Wales and ACT and there's a Celebrations or Bottolo near you, you can go in, grab a case of Bloke in a bar. Plus, at Porter's Liquor, we are currently $52 a case in any Porter's Liquor in New South Wales. We're also in hundreds of other stores across Queensland, ACT, Victoria, Go to our website, put in your postcode. It'll show you the nearest stockers. So grab a case of Bloke in a Bar. That's what keeps this keeps us growing, keeps the lights on. It's the best way to support the platform. If you enjoy the content each week, you sit back and you, you love the podcast, grab a case of Bloke in a Bar to help us keep moving forward. And it's on top of everything, it's a beautiful beer. We've also got the brand new MIDI as well. But as usual, let's get straight into it, baby. Just a Bloke in a Bar. Hola and welcome to another episode of Bloke in a Bar. Whoopsie, did I say all the boys? I'm just uh, here in Madrid in a hotel room. Oh, sorry, hotel lobby. Didn't want to make them wake the missus up. We had it all planned. All right, you're going to have to put your headphones on. They might see you sleeping in the background, but I said, you know what? I'll go to the lobby room. It's not too bad. In Madrid, life is good, but uh, also rugby league is good. It never sleeps, baby. Look, is it 6 a.m. in the morning right now? Yeah, it is, but that's the commitment I have to... The community. I'm getting up at six in Madrid to talk about footy with my great mates Gurino and Timmy. Guru, how you going, brother? Going well, mate. World Cup in uh, full swing now, and uh, unlike normal World Cups, it hasn't quite gone to plan so far. And how good's that, mate? It's been it's been really interesting, right? Like it's 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 interesting because you know we'll talk about it, but obviously. Although the teams that should have won won, technically, I know Samoa were favourites, but I, if I recall correctly, and I may be lost in the haze of holidays, but I think we did say England were still uh, favourites. But it was the way each team won that was really, really interesting. But i got my great man, Timmy, here. Timmy, how you going, brother? Very well, Kempi, mate. Good, uh, good to be along. I'm blinded by the Spanish tan coming through the camera at the moment <laughs> of yours, mate. Bronson up over there. Oh, uh, mate. it's uh, You know what is really funny? is that So I rock up. We get off the like, so we go from Dubai to Spain. Get off the plane, walking down like super excited. There's all the the custom people there, and they look so intimidating with all their fucking kit on. There's guns and everything, and they are checking. They're checking passports with literally like they put the thick eye to it, and they're literally looking at it like that, like tight as <laughs> anything. Mrs. rolls in to another like to a so she goes to like the left, and there's a lady that takes care of like the women. She's getting smashed. I walk up, dude just goes, boom, doesn't even look at my passport, just go through because he thought I was a Spaniola, Timmy. He thought I was <laughs> one of the people. Um, and what's been really interesting since I've been here, like people ask me for directions, like everyone thinks that like I'm from here because I look like people around here. So these are my people now, I think. I think I might be secretly Spanish. Um, Spanish with a, hint been- of, with a hint of Greek beak about you, mate. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> just European, you know. Just, just, the, just the, the the European heritage, even though I have none coming through. Uh, have you told yeah, them look, that mate, you uh, used to play soccer or what? Have you mentioned it yet? <laughs> I just run around saying football, <laughs> football. Um, we don't call it soccer anymore, Guru. We call it football. We now. <laughs> the uncultured swine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
Uh, mate, it's been absolutely incredible. We saw our Classico. So for, for the uh, uncultured swines that are, are listening, that's uh, Barcelona versus Real Madrid or Real Madrid versus Barcelona. Uh, it's actually probably it's probably the biggest rivalry in world sport. Um, it was absolutely incredible. Full house, I think it's around eighty to 90,000. Uh, and just they, they are singing constantly. It is absolutely incredible. But let's get to the footy. I don't want to bore you with my... My trip over here to Europe. Uh, what an interesting opening round. Now, obviously, we've still got a couple of games to go. But first, I want to talk about what's crazy that we have to talk about it. Desi Hasler sacked from the Manly Seagulls. This, to me, look, it may turn out to be great. And you guys both know that we are more than willing on this show to say, we got it wrong. We got it wrong. I think this is such a shocking decision, the way it's been handled. I think that I, – I think they've always wanted to do – not always, but for a, a substantial amount of time, they've wanted to do this. They've tried to force him into him quitting, thinking that he would, I guess, throw his toys out of the cot and say, you know what, I'm not going to bloody take – you know, you're going to put my assistant coach in and change all my coaching methods. He called their bluff and said, you know what, all right, we'll, we'll take your assistant coach, everything like that. And still, they got rid of him. I think this is just a, a really, really poor call. I, I think it's, uh, you know, let's forget his coaching record, which is he's still, right now, his coaching record, it's like the fourth best right now. Like, and Guru, I'm sure you've got the the record um, there. But matter of fact, the an argument could be made. It's third above Wayne Bennett over the last decade. Anyway, let's forget all that. This is a club legend. This is a club legend being sacked a year early because he's a little bit hard to deal with. Desi hasn't changed. Desi's not different to the bloke that won you those premierships. You got him back. So don't, so why are you sacking him when you knew what he was like? It is absolutely it's, it's shocking, and I've said it a million times before, but if they want to look at who's done a good job, they've gone through eight or so CEOs in however long. The admin... You know, does Manly make that much money? Is the admin doing the best they can do? I think they need. To, I think they need to look internally first before they start looking at the coach for the the reasons why as things aren't going so well. Guru, what do you think about the whole situation? Oh, mate, it's crazy. Like I remember when I first heard about this as a rumor. It must have been round twenty. Like that, that's almost four months ago. I heard about this, and I just thought there is not a hope in hell they could possibly sack him. No way. It just makes no sense. And. <laughs> Mate, even up until the day that it happened, even when it happened, I looked around and went, that just can't be real. This is just, this is the most unbelievable decision. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to Seabold, but, you know, he, he's a guy that's reportedly going to come in. I mean, mate, we, we just saw him in a team that was struggling to sort themselves out and struggling with culture and identity and everything. And, like, he wasn't, I'd argue it got worse each week instead of improving. I just, I can't understand. One, letting Des Hasler go is unbelievable, but then, I don't know, to turn to Seabold, the whole thing just makes no sense to me, mate. It, 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 you know what? It, and this is just, you know, my very small experience in business. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough, you know, all the jokes aside and all the carry-on aside, you know, Bloke is a successful business. Obviously, we're still really young and I'm not the fucking, I'm not Mark Boris or anything like that. Let's just put, let's just get that clear. But I have had experience in dealing with successful people. And sometimes, you know, because that you're surrounded by very, you know, high, you know, 
successful people that are, are got a not an ego, but you have to have some sort of belief in your way to get to the to work to the higher levels. And I just think sometimes that you you get around people that think they know best when they need to realize that that's not their area of expertise. And I think that this is a case of people thinking that, well, because he's hard to deal with, therefore, like all they should be really doing with Desi is asking themselves, is he a high quality coach? Is he, if he's hard to deal with, yep, fair enough. But what's best for the club? What is best for the club is Desi Hazard right now. And I think that that question has gotten lost in the, you know, I understand in personal relationships, you can feel insulted, you can get angry, all that kind of stuff. But I always ask myself, whenever I ever feel like, you know, something's gone wrong or something isn't treating me right, I always ask myself, what is best for bloke in a bar? Put my own feelings aside. I might be angry. I might be frustrated. I might want to go, you know what? I've got a bit of power here. You can fucking do this or you can do that. With that aside, and I say, what is best for bloke? And I just think that, like, Manly hasn't done that in this situation. Like, there's, there's a group of people that haven't gone, you know what? What is best for Manly right now? Timmy, what do you think about the whole situation? Yeah, just at Manly for years and years. I mean, they've had so much success on field, and, and I can't believe all that success that they've had hasn't translated to a, a more stable <coughs> in-house at the club and among the admin. And it's just years and years of there's always an issue going on in-house at Manly and just seems to be finger-pointing. And if anything half goes wrong, there's someone someone's in strife for it. In this case, it's as if Desi Hasler's been scapegoated for a poor end of season, the Jersey saga, which is just uh, the magnitude of that, like... Had that not happened, Manly probably make the eight. You know, all things probably good and well, and who knows where we'd be now. Whether Desi'd still have his job, and you know, maybe Desi's been scapegoated for everything that's gone on. That's probably the way I see it. But you look at the the position became pretty well untenable for Desi in the sense that you know there was talking of him suing the club and all these issues even before he'd been sacked or at least to the public. So. You know, it's very, very sad way to see him go. What ramifications are this going to have? At least now he's gone, they can start to rebuild and move on from this saga. But you know, the the other million dollar or probably two million dollar question is what do what do the Trebojevic boys um, think of all this? And you know, they're probably quietly seething a little bit themselves or getting sick of the instability. Uh, so it's an interesting few months to play out and see where we end up. Look, it's it's. The crazy thing is, is we've seen this before. We've seen this before. They let go of Desi, you know. Although I thought Tubes did a relatively good job, uh, he had a much better squad to deal with than than what they're currently dealing with uh, at the Manly Seagulls. But basically, Manly, if they lose their main player in Tom Dvorovic, uh, you could argue essentially on a top eight side. You know, maybe they would have slipped in without the the whole Jersey saga. I'd, I'd argue they got a weaker squad than when they let go of Desi originally. Um, and uh, anyway, look. To be fair, as we said, if they made if they've made the right call, um, then good on them. And it's a it's a gutsy call. Like you know, we we have to look at Rabbitohs. I know it's, it wasn't as uh, there wasn't as much negative feeling around the Rabbitohs for sure. But you know, Demetrio has been fantastic. He's proven a lot of people wrong. Um, now let's get into the Seabol situation. Look, I don't. This is, this is coming from someone that I, I was pretty critical of, of Seabold when he was at the Broncos. There was a lot of stuff that I felt I just disagreed with the way he did things. Just because he was, you know, not great at the Broncos, I wouldn't write him off as a coach yet. I wouldn't say, you know, he can't coach because he had poor time at the Broncos. But I would say with all the information we have, 
I can't believe that they're most likely going to go with Seabold. If I was, let's say I was Seabold or someone wanting to sign Seabold, I would have wanted to see Seabold go away, get success, whether it's in New South Wales Cup, the Super League, as a head coach, before I would re-sign him. In reality, he's mm. gone away and been an assistant here or there and just walked straight back into a Manly Seagulls coach. Now, I again, he's walking into a squad that although probably has, you know, maybe better leaders in Tom Trevojevic, Jake Trevojevic and DCE, but the Broncos were, I think they were fifth or sixth the year that he came in. Um, and then they went on to uh, make the eight and get beaten by a record margin. So he's going on to a club with less resources that finish in a much lower position. Again, I'm not, just, I'm not saying his coaching career is over at all. I think that, you know, he's, he's so young, he's got so long, and this, this could be the making of him or what he went through. But it's just super surprising that Seawalt is the answer to this when you've already got a guy like Des Hasler sitting there. What do you reckon about the Seabold situation, Guru? Yeah, as I said, I, like he's probably not the guy that I would have gone for, especially <clears> when you, you had Des. Like you had a premiership winning coach, a guy that's been successful. But I also think the reality of the situation is that, mate, if Turbo's hamstring holds up, I could fucking coach this team <laughs> and they could be successful. So I really do think that, you know, I, I think that the admin at Manly know they're in a position where if we can just get this one guy fit... I don't think it matters who coaches them. And I think they'd be leaning back sort of going, as long as he's fit, we're going to look like we've made the right decision. So it's an interesting situation. But as you said, if something does happen that he gets injured or something this year, like I personally thought that Des did. When when Turbo got injured, I said to you two, they won't make the finals, no way. Five weeks later, I thought I was wrong. Des has got this sorted. They're going to make it. The jersey debacle hits. Like if, if something else goes wrong for them next year with Turbo's out... It's going to be a huge test for Seabold. It's going to be massive. And, and I, I mean, history shown us at Manly that if, if there's pressure on and they're not winning, we know whose head's going to fall. And then it's, it's going to be tough for Seabold to build himself back up after that. But I think there's a really good chance that if Tom does play the whole season, they're potentially a, a top four team. I think they're definitely a top eight team if Tommy plays the whole season. So interesting to see how it plays out, mate. Uh, yeah, look, I agree with you in, in regards to, you know, Tom Dravojevic and DC, Jack Dravojevic, they're so good. But, you know, and look, this is no disrespect to Seabold as a person, but look at the regression that young Broncos side made as players when he took over. Uh, and I, I know that's harsh, but it's, it's the reality. There is no denying that that young group of men regressed massively in that couple of years and are only just starting to come around. And I'm not saying that Tom Trevojevic will regress. He's a senior player. They've got senior players in key positions. But there is a chance there is at least some regression. Um, Now, he could have improved. It may have been, you know, it could have been the Wayne Bennett shadow that hurt him. There's there's a million reasons why it happened. But the reality is, is that Broncos squad regressed over those years and went from every good pundit in the game, or at least every... pundit that's taken seriously saying this is the best young forward pack we may we've seen in 20 years to these guys are like not even arguably q cup standard at some some stages timmy thoughts about the seabold situation yeah i'm probably not as critical of it as, as a lot of people and the main reason being that 
I think Seabold, well, we've sort of said all season with this NRL coaching merry-go-round, there's not a lot of great options out there available. Now, there's a few that, you know, you would argue that may have been better fits, but there's not a lot out there. I'm willing to give Seabold a little bit of a benefit of the doubt about his time at Brisbane. Like, it is just a whole new kettle of fish, that club. But you go into the, the cauldron of Red Hill that we've seen <coughs> ever, ever since uh, he was sacked by the Broncos, that he's already left the club, whatever you want to call it. Um that, you know, they've still regressed. They haven't been any better. They've had this in-house fighting. They haven't got back on track. Now, just before that, he was a Dalian Coach of the Year at South Sydney, which is a big, big thing. He took them within a whisker of making an NRL grand final. He's still, I suppose, relatively young in, in his young enough in his coaching career. As you said, Kempi would love to have seen him go and maybe take over a Super League side the last year or two and, and have a bit of success there. But at the same time, he spent time in and around the NRL still. He's been at Manly before in an assistant role, so he'd know the club well enough, uh, obviously enough for, for the club to back him and, and appoint him as a head coach now. So, look, while he might not be perfect, I think he's a very intelligent fella. He's shown that he can get success in the NRL. I think he would have learned a hell of a lot from that Brisbane experience. Um, it was a tough one, but he'll have learned his lessons. So uh, I don't mind Seabold. Yeah, I, I I agree with you in regards to he's he's so young. Like like you can't just write his whole career off now. It's it's more just like what's the reality of that's happened in the last two to three years. But I, I will say, so he did he coach in two thousand and eighteen or nineteen at the Rabbitohs? Eighteen, nineteen, yeah. Eight, eighteen or nineteen? Eighteen. Eighteen. Okay, so. I just want to read you out this squad. So this is August 29, 2019. So relatively late in the year. Oh, man, now it's not loading. Anyway, you had Alex Johnston. Um, oh, my God, that is so annoying. Just <laughs> boys. Anyway, the squad that he had, and, and this is not being disrespectful, I, I actually thought, I, I'm pretty sure back at, in – that year, I thought he was the coach of the year. I thought he was outstanding. Um, but the squad he had was something pretty special. I mean... Do you want me to read out that team it? to you, mate? Yes, please. Yeah, so AJ at fullback, uh, Campbell Graham on one wing, Robert Jennings on the other side, GI and Gagai in the centres, uh, Cody Walker and Adam Reynolds in the halves, Tom Burgess and George Burgess up front, Cookie at nine, uh, Johnny Sutton in the back row with Angus Crichton, Sam Burgess at 13, uh, then your bench, Cam Murray, Dean Britt, Tavita Totola. It was a pretty handy side, wasn't it? Oh. Yeah, so like I, I wonder, you know, when when you stack that up against the Manly side currently, it's chalk and cheese. And that's not disrespectful. I know Tom Trevojevic is unbelievable. But, you know, like, you know, again, the reality is like, even with DCE, uh, Reynolds in that period had a far more successful uh, run than DCE ever had. Uh, in during that period, I know DC is one of the best sevens in the game, but in reality, Renault's over the last five years, Renault's uh, resume is a bit better in regards to club footy. So it is a really interesting task. It's um, another really interesting one is like with with Seabold's coaching style, he is very you know scientific and you know forward thinking and you know looks to the future. Merely a renown for not having many resources. You know, Trent Barrett literally, you know, the, the reports anyway were that that was one of his biggest issues is that he felt he didn't have the resources needed. Is, you know, is this a case of does, he, does Seabold even have the resources he's going to need to be the kind of coach he wants to be? 
Yeah, it's an interesting point that you bring up because I like I remember when Trent Barrett walked in there and he was going to be the next hot shot young coach that was going to take them into the next era and mate, it was an absolute shit fight there and then they completely 180'd it, brought back in Des and all of a sudden they're successful and relevant all over again. So it's a I feel like at the Manly Seagulls they're a very unique franchise because things just have to be done in a manly way. I don't know how else to explain it. It's just there's a manly way to go about things that only seemingly manly former players and whatnot understand. The like the only guys that have been successful there have been Jeff Tuvey and Des Hasler, realistically, over the last 20, 25 years. Like, it's just – it's such a unique situation. That's what worries me with bringing someone from the outside. Granted, he has spent some time there as an assistant coach. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm still very nervous about it. Mm. Yeah, so, look – I put it this uh, to be clear, though I think, and we'd all agree with this. We don't. We hope Sebo goes. Seabold goes well. We hope he goes well. There's no denying that he's young. Uh, he had success at the Rabbitohs. You know, yeah, it was a very good squad. He's been in really good systems as assistant coaches, as assistant coach. Maybe the Broncos situation. There was a lot of off-field stuff that we aren't aware of. Um, I hope he goes well. I really do. I don't. I, you, you never wish anyone bad luck going into a new gig. And maybe it's one of the great redemption arcs. It really is. Um, but unfortunately, when you look at the facts of the coaching record over the last three or four years for Anthony Seabold, it hasn't been the best. But maybe it was just, you know, we talk about you've got to be a manly man. Maybe he just wasn't the Broncos man that was needed. You know, he didn't have the right connections in the media and, you know, in-house, even though he actually was at the club. He used to play with him in the Clydesdales. Um, anyway, so look, wish him the best for sure. Uh it's really interesting times. It, it, it's it, look. It's not it, the crazy thing is is he actually has a contract. I'm pretty sure with England Rugby Union, so wow. it's not a for, for, for sure thing. But <clears throat> the owner has literally already come out and said that he wants him as a head coach. So I'd be very surprised if he's not. We're we going to say Guru. Oh no, it's just crazy. I was just going to throw in there as well with Seabold. Like as much as you know, had the Broncos, it felt like a lot of those players were regressing. Maddie, you can probably touch on it more. But when he arrived, that's when Cody Walker really went to uh, a new level, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I think Cody played Origin the next year, which was obviously off the back of that 2018 season. So, yeah, you're right. We had, like, Cody, Reynolds, Burgess, Inglis, all, all of those guys. Yeah, so as nervous as I am about it, there are plenty of positives throughout his career as well. There's no doubting that. <coughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, Cody obviously got definitely went better, but they did just land in the same spot as they were the last year, which was a prelim final. Um, but you're right, though. You're right, Cody. Definitely, you know. And, and you know what, Cam Murray and that they all say that they Campbell Graham as well. All say that Seabold had a massive influence on um, bringing them through. So yeah, you're right, Guru. So, they, there is evidence. I was Sorry. just going to say, in fairness, that was the first of the five prelims that South made. The reason they didn't make the prelim the year before was because I think like it was like the, the squad was kind. Of, it was the same squad, but. I think they were like tired of Madge's coaching. So he inherited the same squad, but I think we thought he was the coach of the year because he did take the team to a prelim and they actually weren't there the year before. So Oh really? They yeah. finished twelfth the season before. So yeah, it's yeah, I'm still very nervous about it, don't get me wrong. But uh, like there, there are positives on there for sure. Yeah, okay. Well, no, I take that back. I apologize. I, I was wrong. I I you know, you could make the argument that he had a lot to do because he was assistant coach, that he mm. had a lot to do for setting that squad up to get them into the prelims for the next five years. So you're right. If you, if you want to go, if you go back and say, okay, well, Broncos was, you know, definitely not good. If you take a, a bird's eye view, 
you could say 50-50 had some really, really strong success and just poor. So, you know, as I said, good luck to the bloke. Um, there's evidence. You're right, Guru. You're totally right. There is absolutely evidence that he can develop players and make them. Um, you know what it is? It's just obviously being a former Bronco player, I'm more focused in on the Bronco situation. And then obviously Maddie being a Rabbitohs fan, you know, he was more focused on the Rabbitohs situation. So he'd know more about it. But like um, as a non Broncos player, sh- shockingly to everyone and a non South Sydney <laughs> fan, that's what I focus on as well. I'm sort of looking for some silver linings out of this. Cause I do think if turbo is fit, it'll be okay. Yeah. It, yeah. Look, it's hard to, you're right. Like, look, if turbo is that good. He really is like on his day is arguably one of the best players we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, so as we said, good luck to him if he does get the gig. You know, Manly going really well, especially like last year when they went really well. Um, they're super exciting. They're so likable now with Tom Dravojevic, Jake Dravojevic. Um, so yeah, good luck to him if he gets it. Now let's get into uh, just wait. Actually, I've got to uh, give a quick shout out while I'm over here. While I've been traveling, July luggage, they sent me some free kit, has been absolutely fantastic. Got it off the missus, so the missus hooked the whole situation up. Um, Look, I'm not a luggage guy, guys. If you, if you didn't know, I'm not a luggage guy. I'm not, I'm not deep into me luggage brands. But I will say, going up and down like stairs and like jumping over crevices, and you know how they sometimes the wheels get stuck and it's a punish. It's an absolute punish. These are like really sturdy wheels. There's, they're lightweight. So if you want some luggage, guys, July luggage. Seriously, best luggage I've ever used. And that's not even GNR. It's been fantastic. Um, so that's July luggage. Uh, and we've been carting that everywhere. Super lightweight, heaps of compartments. Um, plus, obviously, you could just—it's you don't have to worry about things. You know, the wheels not working and wheeling and all that kind of stuff. Also, Justice Hooney versus Kiki Toa uh, Luatelli fighting on November fourth at Brisbane Nissan Centre. Grab your tickets from Ticket Tech now. Justice Hooney is the guy that absolutely towed up Paul Gallen. And, I mean. Honestly, Gal doesn't get enough respect for stepping in the ring with Justice Hooney because not only was he the best young Australian heavyweight boxer we had, he's one of the best heavyweight prospects we've seen in a very long time. And so for Gal to get in the ring with him was incredible. But Justice Hooney, he is – if the, if we have any – well, not any because um, I've forgotten his name. I think it's Dempsey. Apologies if I've forgotten his name. But he is one of the big, big up-and-coming uh, heavyweights that we have. I'm pretty sure he's a heavyweight. Um his hands are super, super fast. He's exciting. He's 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 got a unique set of skills that you don't often see with heavyweights. So Justice Hooney versus Kiki Toa Luatelli, uh, Luatelli, sorry, uh, fighting November fourth at Brisbane's Nissan uh, Nissan Arena. You can grab your tickets from Ticket Tech. As I said, guys, it you know there's a there's a real chance that this kid goes on and does something really special. Very humble, very respectful. I've met him before. Great, great kid and got so much talent. And I, I, I would make the argument that he'd have some of the fastest hands in the heavyweight division. He is super impressive. Um, so it'd be almost like if you were to go to one of George Cambosa's early fights, if this kid keeps on going on the track that he's going on, to go to one of his early fights and say, I saw him fight as he was coming through, be sick. And you know he's going to be exciting. He doesn't he he's not a heavyweight that kind of just waits for that one punch knockout. He puts them together, gets the job done. So that's November 4th at Brisbane Nissan Center, uh, Nissan Arena, apologies. You grab your tickets from Ticket Tech. Also, grab a pair of budgie smugglers as we head into summer. Ned Brockman completed his run across the country yesterday. You can pre-order his special edition budgie smugglers now. Now, this has popped up into my 
feed in that. This bloke, Ned Brockman, one of the great names, ran 100Ks per day uh, for – he ran from Perth to Sydney, I think. Yeah, Perth to Bondi uh, in like 47 days or something crazy. Now, I want to get a Bumblebee check on him and a Gary Jack check because <laughs> the Bumblebees and the Gary Jack would be absolutely off the bone. So, Ned Brockman, if you hear this, mate, can you send me a Bumblebee? and a Gary Jack check for us because Jesus Christ, what an incredible feat by this gentleman. 100Ks a day and he did it for, um, I think, homelessness and yep. he raised $1 million. $1 million. What, I mean, an absolutely amazing and it's brought to you by Budgie Smuggler. They get behind Butlers. Budgie Smuggler, um, they get behind us as well. Uh, absolutely fantastic business, guys. So get behind Budgie Smuggler because they get behind blokes they get the job done. They turn up. And Ned Brockman, bloody oath, he turned up. So budgiesmuggler.com.au, you get your special edition Ned Brockman budgies. Um, as I said, they support us, so support them. And they're a fantastic business to work with, guys. They really are. And they're Aussie. And they're Aussie. Um, also, Porter's New South Wales, 50 do, $52 cases of bloke in a bar. Get down to your nearest Porter's Liquors for the best price on your favorite lager. Uh Again, that is $52 in all Porter's Liquors in New South Wales. And as you guys know, we're in every single celebrations, Porter's Liquor, IJ Plus Liquor, and Bottle O in New South Wales and ACT, plus hundreds of other stores. So grab a case of bloke and a bar beer. Now, just quickly, did you guys get a chance to watch uh, Cambosis versus Haney at all? I didn't get a chance to, you too. I uh, saw the highlights, but not live. Yeah, look, so uh, Cambosis goes down again to um, Haney, uh, look, again, it was it was quite a dominant display by Haney, but there were moments of brilliance from Cambosis that you know could have changed the tide. But Haney was just, I mean, I think we're we're really starting to appreciate Haney isn't just a good one thirty five up. He's a pound for pounder, and he's a really big one thirty five. I actually don't think we'll, we'll see him again in one thirty five. He cuts a lot of weight. He's very rangy. His body is more suited for one forty. So. It's a mixture of obviously much better, like not much better, but he's a better boxer than Cambosis currently. But I think that when Cambosis begins to fight guys that are more his size, you know, he may have more success. So Cambosis isn't over by any stretch. He just got beaten by, seriously, one of the pound-for-pound pound best boxers in boxing right now. Haney is still 23 years old. We may be watching the trajectory of one of the greats. So no shame at all for Cambosis in losing. He went out like a warrior went the whole distance against one of the best boxers in boxing right now. So shout out to Cambosis. He is an absolute warrior. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, where he goes from here. Uh, there's so many fights. As I said, I can't really see Haney fighting again at 135 unless maybe there's one or two fights left in him. But that that weight cut just looks – it looks big for him. So uh, massive shout out to Cambosis. He was, he was gallant. He was a warrior. He could have easily taken the easy way out. He didn't. So much respect. But let's get to um, Rugby League World Cup games. England versus Samoa. Guru, give me your thoughts, mate. Yeah, uh, I don't know about you boys, but I've got to put my hand up here. I uh, I underestimated this English team uh, unbelievably, to be honest with you. I, I thought Samoa would get the job done here. Uh, to see them get done in the fashion they did, it, it, was, it was crazy. Um, and, you know... 
it, we, we, we look back at it now and we go, okay, it was, it's been playing in England. They're the home nation. They've added Victor Radley. There's all these things that point to they should have been successful. But to score 60 points, uh, crazy. I, I don't know how Samara are going to bounce back from this. In the, in the last 12 minutes, it was 28 nil. That is just crazy. I, I, I couldn't believe um, what I was watching. The, um, the young fellow from England, Jack Wellsby, I haven't seen him play before. Fuck, he's a talent, isn't he, Timmy? He's a gun, mate. Yeah, and it's said twenty-one year old. He's won, I think, three three Super League titles for yep. St Helens, back to back to back. Uh, his first one, I think, was eighteen or nineteen, and he scored the match winner an extra time for them. And he was he was exceptional on the weekend. And I think a lot of the pressure going into the World Cup for England was, you know, do, do they have the firepower? Do they have the flair to to compete with the best of the best? They, as Kempi mentioned earlier, they started underdogs in this game remarkably, uh, and he and, and Georgie Williams were were fa- phenomenal in this game. Um, England completed ninety percent. They played pretty high percentage footy. Nothing nothing too expansive. And geez, it, it, it's given a really big rethink of the entire tournament. Within eighty minutes of it, I think everyone was second guessing themselves and their predictions from from before the tournament. Yeah, look, England. I think that they. I think they read the media. I think they listened to, and including guys like us. Now, look, I'm pretty sure we still had them as favourites. Again, apologies if I'm wrong, but absolutely didn't think that they would be looking this good. I would actually say, out of all the games I've watched, they were the, easily the most cohesive side. Easily, um, as you brought up, Timmy, they completed at ninety percent, which is the highest completion of any side um, so far by a substantial margin. They were absolutely outstanding, and. It's going to be interesting because right now, put it this way, right now, if the grand final was played like that game just before, I'd have to say they they might win it due to the cohesion of the game. I think that it's going to take time for New Zealand and Australia to slowly gel things together. But I I wonder whether... it's, It's interesting because Australia and New Zealand have played together arguably just as much as England. But I just think that there was something about that English side as if they'd been playing together for for a very long time. And so I don't know whether the, the, they've been doing a lot of, um, I don't know, communicating a lot by during the Super League season or I'm not sure, but they looked easily the most cohesive. And just, just like little things watching, like there's so many years where you go, okay, England, their forward pack, probably world-class, back line, maybe not so much. They're back five were absolutely outstanding and I, i'd make even make the argument that their back five was probably the best back five of the weekend so far um sam Tompkins, he's always a threat really really interesting tom mackerson a try try assist really strong ball carrying what's really interesting is you would have easily looked at that samoa side and said that back five is going to absolutely dominate this england side because that back five is like Probably the best back five. Well, you could make the argument that the best back five in the comp. I still think Australia probably have it. But when you've got Tango, To'o, Suwali'i, um, you've got, uh, who was the other? Crichton. Stephen you know what I mean? Crichton, we're talking yeah. about yeah, we're talking about the premier, back-to-back premiership backlight. Um, outside, obviously, Dylan Edwards, but you put Suwali'i in there and you, you a lot of people would, you know, I know Edwards had the year of the, his life, but a lot of people would probably pick Suwali'i before him, you know, I, I obviously Edwards' experience would get him ahead, but again, we're talking about Suwali'i here. So I, I, I will say I absolutely underestimated England. They look fantastic. Callum Watkins, if I'm a club that needs a centre in the NRL, I am 
absolutely chasing this guy. He's big, he's powerful. You know, Herbie was really good, but I thought, like, Herbie and Callum were both fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But I thought Callum Watkins was was outstanding, absolutely outstanding. Jake Wellsby, very, very talented kid. I'll be surprised if there aren't NRL clubs looking at trying to get him across now don't, don't if you're an NRL club and you don't have a seven don't even bother you need you, he, he seems like a player that needs a dominant seven George Williams it's it's almost a you when you see him play like that now by all reports he's had a, a rather quiet season but then you see him play like that and you go this bloke should be in the NRL like okay you've got Anthony Milford and you've got Law on the other side Anthony Milford has been has has a great career. Last few years, not so great. But if you ever needed evidence that you need a proper seven, go and watch England versus Samoa, because George Williams directed the team around the park, got them to the right spots, and yet Anthony Milford, although he's not a six, you would say, okay, on paper, you'd probably take Anthony Milford over George Williams if you looked at their career. But George Williams is a genuine seven, and look at the difference. He was absolutely outstanding. So hats off to England. They they reacted unbelievably well to all the not, – not negative media, but I just think that – I think we mentioned it before, Guru. We just don't watch the Super League. So it's very hard to make a judgment on, on how good these players are. But I tell you what, the only thing that – put it this way, right now with their cohesiveness – if New Zealand and Australia don't get it together in their cohesiveness, England are a chance. Now, if England, sorry, if Australia and New Zealand get it together in their cohesiveness, I think it'd still be a good game, but I think that they've just got a bit too much firepower to beat England. But right now, I think they're the most, they look the most, They honestly, they looked as cohesive as a club side that has been together for a while. Really exciting times for England. The one that I really enjoyed was seeing Sam Tompkins. I mean, he has been over there for so long in England playing unbelievable football for so long. And I think down here in Australia, we saw such a brief little snippet of him at the Warriors. And, you know, he he was nothing like what I thought he'd be at the Warriors. But there's been a lot of guys that have gone to the New Zealand Warriors and have underachieved over time. There's no, you know, there's no doubting that. I think down here, we sort of, we get the wrong impression of this guy because he has been so dominant over there for so long. I think he's played rugby union as well for England. I'm pretty sure he's a dual international. So to see him as captain and hopefully they can be really successful this year because I think a lot of people down here have the complete wrong understanding of of the sort of footballer this guy is. I totally agree. I totally agree. And, you know, all jokes aside, obviously, you know, even myself struggled over the Warriors, not even as if I'm better than Tompkins, but like, you know, when I was at Warriors, I struggled. Um, so sometimes it's just the club, honestly, just the club you're at, or sometimes it's the type of footy or it's assistance or whatever. Um, Tim Tompkins was outstanding, but Victor Radley, we said he would add a lot to this side. Oh my God. He was just, he was, he was as influential as Isaiah Yo is for the Penrith Panthers. He was the glue in the middle. He, he took them from a side that usually struggles to have that little cream on the top around the middle and be able to move the ball to the edges when they need to, to a side that it's the best I've seen England look in. Honestly, I, I can't remember the last time they looked this good. Timmy? Yeah, I think just, just quickly touching on George Williams, and uh, I know it's a World Cup podcast, but you've, you've got to take every chance you can to wrap the Canberra Raiders. And, <laughs> and uh, I... 
As a Canberra fan at the time, I was sort of concerned about George coming in as he came in as more of a, a ball running five eight when he landed at the Raiders, and there was a few concerns about him alongside Jack White and who directs the team and how this is going to work. Now they were fortunate they had another Englishman in Josh Hodgson who sort of ran the show for them, but I think that fast forward is forwarded his evolution as a halfback, which we saw uh, the reward that's come out of it in one game against Samoa on the weekend, and he was a really good controlling half, which. I don't think was probably an aspect of his game a couple of years ago, but he really, that was my one query or one of a few queries going into England, going into the World Cup was, do they have that number seven to get them around the park? We know how good George is with ball in hand in his running game, um, but but he was phenomenal. And, and now, you know, that's a, a big green tick for me, for them going forward. And yeah, I just think England, they gave a real good shake. Um, the entire side, there was one try at the end there I think Milf had just come back on from his sin bin uh, and it was the Mackinson down the sideline threw it back into Elliot Whitehead and it summed up the entire game for me. I know it was late in the game. I know Samoa were gassed, but there was about five pommies queuing up to score that try. They were just wanted every little piece of that game and Samoa just had their hands on their hips going, get us out of here. So, yeah, encouraging signs for the poms. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, they lost a man, all that kind of stuff. You look, I'm sorry, but I felt like England were dominant from the very first minute. I really did. I, I thought they were. I just, when you look at the Samoa side and you look at the England side, I think it's it's such. You go, okay. Here is a side that clearly is clearly is all on board with the coaching plan. There's systems in place that they're all believing in. Then you look at the the Samoa side, and you're going, these guys aren't on the same page. They've got no direction. They've got all this talent, but nowhere to direct it towards. Um, I, I, well, I, let's. I guess just quickly, let's talk about Samoa, or not just quickly. Look, I, as we said earlier in this podcast, guys, I am more than willing in a while, in six months or at the end of the World Cup or whatever, to put my hand up and say, I got it wrong. And, and I think we all are. And I don't, this, I don't mean it's disrespectful to anyone in the Samoan admin or whatever, but I personally think they need a massive overhaul up top. I, I, this isn't a lot of people go, Oh, okay, it's the first game of the World Cup, and you know, we're, we're building into things. Some of have been disappointing for years now, for years, and it isn't because of the talent. Their talent is fucking unbelievable. Uh, I, I personally believe that there can no longer be, Oh, yeah, yeah, we're just building towards, we're building towards this. Now, look. Again, apologies if there's people in the admin that have, haven't been there for long or they've just come in, but the head coach has been there for a while now. Um, and so personally, it's just not working. Uh, you know, if they get beat by England, I don't think anyone has an issue by that. But them to get 60 put on them with the side that they have is unacceptable, in my opinion. Um, you know, I, I just think that I personally think they need an overhaul. Happy to put if they pull it all together and they go well in the World Cup. I put my hand up, go boom, got it wrong. Apologies, you got it right. You're the winner. But right now, I think they need an overhaul uh, in regards to coaching stuff. Uh, well, just in regards to the whole system. Apologies. And I mean, mate, it wasn't that long ago that we had Maddie and Andrew Johns putting their hands up to coach this side. I'm sorry, do they concede sixty if he's if those two are coaching? Oh, I personally don't and, think there's a world where they do. And Sonny Bill was oh. a part of the coaching staff. Mate, it's a completely different story. I mean, it's it's been, you know, the worst kept secret in rugby league for a long time that, you know, the players don't, you know, get along with the coaching or agree with what's going on there. And I think the other day was so evident. Uh, mate, they've got two state of origin superstars running out in the front row. 
They got belted through the middle. I don't understand how that happens. Uh, it's When you look at that forward pack in that team, this is unthinkable, the score. And I know they lost a player or whatever. 60 points with a team that was, what, $1.50 favourites? I, I think they need an overhaul. I really do. I think the time has come. Like, obviously, they can't make that decision now. But I think that there cannot be any more of this, oh, yeah, we're building towards something. What building has been done over the last three or four years for Samoa? They're in the same position they were, but they've got a squad full of absolute superstars. Timmy, your thoughts? Yeah, just just first, it was the ramifications for this game of football were there to set up the entire World Cup. If England lose, they're likely playing Tonga in first week of the knockout stage, and they the host could have gone out in straight sets, which would have been very detrimental to, I think, the whole World Cup. Samoa, now that they've lost it, that means they now will take on Tonga. And just the manner of the defeat means they're now going to have two games to find their groove before that clash, likely clash against Tonga, where they'll play France and Greece. Like, How much momentum can you get from those games? Had they lost in a tight one and then they'd gone and put a score on France and Greece, then went to the, the quarterfinal against Tonga, you'd be going, all right, you know, they can build on it, they can build. But as Guru said, I'm not really sure how they come back from this one. And uh, to touch on your point, Kempi, about just the, the in-house stuff and an overhaul. They've had a few excuses over the years uh, on field and, and team list being solid without being great. Um, and, you know, you can point a few fingers at the in-house, off-field sort of stuff. But the side they ran out with on the weekend was exceptional. And now it's really hard not to point a few fingers uh, at the in-house because the team that ran out was probably as cohesive as what, as any other sort of side in the World Cup because they had half of the Penrith squad there, particularly all in one edge. Uh, and and to, to dish out that, I'd, oh, I don't know what's going on, mate. That was cruel. Could you imagine being one of these young Greece front rowers? Next Monday, they have to play this Samoan side, <laughs> taking on Junior and Josh after getting their pants pulled down like that. You'd be terrified, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, mate. And, and that's the thing. Like, these players are proven players. So you... you you can't sit here and go, oh, well, it's, it's purely the player's fault. Now, obviously, the players need to go out and play well. But these guys have proven it year after year how good they are. Unfortunately, at the moment, there just has been no evidence from, you know, leadership of, of Samoa um, that they are the right go- job. Like, t- tell me over the last three or four years when you've ever gone, oh, I guess Samoa's... They're, they're really improving. Like they're, I, I can't remember it. And I, again, I'm sorry if I, if there's a game that there is, but I, I can't remember it. I feel like over the last four or five years, every other team has been just steadily improving outside of Tonga, who have just exploded, obviously. But Samoa, you constantly look at their side and go, oh, yeah, they're getting better, they're getting better. But every time they, they step onto the field... You've got to ask, are they actually getting better or are they getting worse? Well, th- this, was meant to be, this was meant to be their time. And you look at games we get to shortly, but... Fiji, who were really impressive against Australia. Lebanon, who were really good uh, in their clash against New Zealand. Samoa were the ones that were like, they have no excuses. This is their time to make, to make a scene at the World Cup. Uh, and they were the biggest disappointments of all of them. Guys, I am more impressed with Lebanon oh, 100%. than I was with... Like, think about this, guys. Lebanon. We're talking about a, a, a country that barely plays rugby league, has what? Two or three NRL players, Adam Dewey, Mitchell Moses, Mansour. 
That's about it. Yeah, yeah and I mean, if, and if we, you could have picked their best front row, it would have been Twole, and he wasn't available. Mm. So, like, they're, they're not even at full strength with what they've got. And they were more impressive than than Samoa. Now, they're just and, – and what's crazy as well is New Zealand is a much better side on paper than England is, in my opinion. So – Fiji, we, we spoke about Fiji. We actually said Fiji looks like they've made more progress over the last few years. I'm sorry, but like, like I, I think Samoa need an overhaul. I really do. I, I think they they may have made the wrong call, whether it's Maddie, Andrew, you know, Sonny or something. But unfortunately, I think they may have made the wrong call because I can't see any evidence of improvement, even though their squad is freaking stacked. Stacked. I mean... You've got guys like this is this is coming off the bench. Spencer Lenu, Martin Tapao, Tulangi. Like, what are we talking about here? Yeah. Oh, oh my like, yeah. And I yeah, I don't know. As I said, you, you obviously the players have to have responsibility. There's no denying that. They absolutely could have been better. They should have made the errors that they made. I think they completed at a really low rate. They completed at 72%, which isn't shocking, but it's definitely not great. You know, so I don't want to excuse the players at all here. They they didn't play the way they should play, but I think that getting beaten by sixty, something's got to change. Has Milf copped a suspension for that late shot? I, I would assume he will. Yeah, it was yeah, pretty bad. But you've also got Hamiso's injured. You got um, Hamlin is injured. You've got Tyrone May's injured as well. So they've got to find guys to fill those gaps with now. With two, so, with two soft games coming up, I assume Chanel Harris Tavita probably comes into the side at halfback. Is yep. you know there was a lot riding on on Milf unfortunately because we knew that they had the elements to be a very successful team, but that organising halfback was probably you know it was the pressure spot for S- Samoa and. Milf didn't have a great game. Uh, he now has Harris Tavita, who's a solid enough halfback. Again, probably not your traditional organising half that they're after, but he's a very good defender. Milf missed a couple of ordinary tackles in that game. Uh, and definitely not Milf's fault. They lost by that margin, but he didn't help the course. So with two soft games coming up, if Harris Tavita comes in and plays well, Milf might not start a game uh, for the rest of the World Cup. Could be wrong, but it, it wouldn't surprise me. Well, you'd have to think with Tyron May out now, he will stay in the side somewhere. Yeah. One of them will be the yeah. 14 or not. Do, do you do you consider, I know he's not a seven, but do you shift Jerome Lewis to seven and hand him the keys potentially? See, I probably would have gone with that originally. Yeah. I think Luai is closer to a seven than Milford, especially with like, you know, Milford, This we have tried this. How many years have we tried this? Seriously, how many years have we tried this with Milf? He is not an organising... Seven, like I wouldn't have made the, ch- I would not have made that selection if I was a coach, because I would have been like, okay, Luai might not be a seven, but we don't really have as much evidence that he isn't a seven. Whereas Milford, it's like, it's there, it's like it's year in, year in, year out. At least with Luai, we're going to, with a guy that has a lot of form coming into seven. Now, don't get me wrong, Luai didn't play the best either, but. Oh man, I just it's frustrating because I'm excited as anything for Samoa. And look, the positive for Samoa is is regardless of result, you cannot deny that they have a squad to move forward. It's right there. They've got the ingredients. Now it's just finding that last ingredient in regards to team cohesion and and you know they should be able to work it out. But surely they got a Samoa and seven that, you know, maybe he's not the flashiest, but he can get him around the park. And that's the scariest thing. When you put it in a vacuum, you go, okay, the fullback is, in my opinion, a first-choice Australian winger. You've got 
Two centres that won a premiership a few weeks ago. You've got, in my opinion, the best winger in rugby league, Brian Toto. You've got a 5'8 that's won back-to-back premierships. You've got two state-of-origin front rowers. How much better is it? Like, this is the best it has ever been for Samoa, and they're still incredibly disappointing. I hope they can turn it around, but fuck, I'm nervous about it. Yeah, I agree, Guru. It's and, and the people that they're playing coming up, like they're not the strongest, so it's like where do you, you don't really get that much confidence out of it. So look, as I said, I am more than willing to put my hand up in two, three, four weeks' time and go, I got it wrong and they they, they were just didn't have a, a warm up match and they were just lacking a bit of cohesion. But at the moment when I look at it, I just I don't see any progress. They look like the same Samoa side that I was watching four or five years ago. Um yeah, like, you know, you could even make the argument sometimes they played better three or four years ago. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I, and, you know, look, for our Samoan fans listening, we want Samoa to be good. We want them to be good because it's, we love the players there. They bring so much to the NRL. But unfortunately, we've got to call it like we see it. We can't we can't sit and be like, oh, you know, it's all, you know, they tough game. They'll be back next week. 60 points. 60 points It's just... It's tough. It's really tough for how good they are. Anything else about uh, Samoa and England, boys? No, I think we've just about covered that one. All good, mate. Yeah. All good. Uh, Now let's get on to Australia versus Fiji. Uh, Really interesting with this one. Um, First of all, I want to give Fiji a massive wrap. I know it's, 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 what was it, 40, ended up um, 42-8. But I thought Fiji were competitive for at least, at least 40 minutes of this game. Um, now, you know, once Australia got their cohesion going together, they were a bit too much to stop. But I, I think Fiji, they're really making some progress. Mm. I, like, I really believe that. Um, when you look at their squad, they've got, what, four or five NRL players. You know, I think you would, like, even their NRL players are almost fringe at the moment. Um, I think, what, Kamakamika and Kikau and Appy are probably your mainstays. Um, then you've got a few fringies. Uh, apologies if I'm mis- uh, misremembering one or two players. Yeah, Sevo as well. But, but outside of that, they're all fringes. And Kevin Aguama, yeah. And so, like, I think Fiji are building something really a bit special there. I really do. Like, for for the players that they have, I thought they did a, a fantastic job. I really, really did. Now, I think that when you look at that score, if you didn't watch the game, you might go, oh, it was just a complete domination. But if you watch the game... Their contact was good. Their line speed was good. Appy, I know he made a couple of errors, but he was still extremely dangerous out of, you know, dummy half. And they looked like, you know, for example, like Brendan Wakeman, he's a fringy at the dogs. But, like, they still looked like they had cohesion. They, they looked like they were getting to places on the field. I was impressed with Fiji. I really was. And, I mean, you have a look through their squad, the fullback, the two centres, 5'8", halfback. None of these guys are even in the best 17 at their NRL club. And I thought they did incredibly well in this game. They had the young, the kid I've been talking about for a while, uh, Josh Josh Wong, he made his debut. I mean, that's his first game of first-class football. You've got to play it against the Kangaroos. I mean, big yeah. ask for a lot of these guys. And they, they, I thought they played incredibly well. And that's where, you know, despite the scoreline, you've got so much respect for this team and this group of players, what they did in this game. And, Fiji tend to do this every single World Cup. They might not win all the games in the world, but fuck, you come away with a lot of respect for their squad. So um, credit to them. They came up against a pretty good Kangaroos side, but, geez, they put a lot of pressure on them. Yeah. I mean, they scored the first try, and it wasn't a fluke or anything. It was a good set-up play by their seven. Um, 
for oh, who, who scored it again? Let me check. Um, Valame, you know. Yeah. So, like, I, I think Fiji, you've got a lot. Like, you know, apologies to keep harping on with Samoa, but Samoa should be at least at this level. At the very, very least, they should be playing that well. Um, they, I believe they should be playing way better. But Fiji, whatever they're doing, I reckon keep doing it because you can. They absolutely every year are, are improving, and and you can see that something is clicking there. There's something that is clicking. They're all seem to be on the same page. They they're playing for each other. They get into certain spots. Whereas like when you watch some old game, they were all playing with a lot of passion individually, but it just wasn't cohesive. It wasn't together. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it was like they, you know, hadn't really played. I mean, I know they haven't played much footy together, but I mean, Fiji haven't played much footy together either. So, super impressive, Fiji. I thought they were outstanding. Um, you know, as you said, um, Guru. Quick shout out to Wong. Now, apparently, he's got massive raps on him. Um, uh, Roosters. I think he's a Roosters. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Massive, massive raps on him. So for him to have his full first grade, like you know. Uh, first grade essentially a first grade debut you know you play in australia i thought he was solid you know he made 30 33 tackles he missed four but still 33 tackles you know playing your first first grade experience really impressive i thought kamakamitha was fucking outstanding yeah. i thought he going against that australian forward pack the amount of times that you know you would see the australian forward pack kind of one of our big guns would take a run and you'd go oh, okay here we go we're, we're about to get a roll on here and then boom Kamakamita just stopped them in their tracks and you're going, holy shit, Australia is struggling to get out of their own end. And he was leading the charge there. So, Timmy, what do you think about Fiji? Fiji were outstanding, mate. They they gave absolutely everything they had in this game. And they scored the first try in the match. And I think we saw with Fiji and Lebanon being so, so impressive to the point that you know, they were down 18-4 to Australia at half-time, Fiji. Lebanon were down, I think it was 18-12 after 53 minutes against New Zealand. And it's probably a bit telling late for them that when they don't have, you know, an NRL or a Super League quality roster from 1 to 17, particularly with only a handful of players from those competitions, 80 minutes of football against world-class opposition, it's got to be telling. So they did just about as much as they could up until that sort of 55, 60-minute mark where they ran out of a little bit of steam. Maybe there was class from the opposition, but really, they, they, they were phenomenal. So they probably didn't have the, the revs under the belt, reps under the belt to, to go 80 minutes against them, but they should be so proud of what they did, and they've set a platform to, to really come home strong in the rest of the, the pool stage. And this is where you mentioned, obviously, like their 1-17 to 17 on their bench. I mean, there wasn't a single player that I'd heard of before, mm. but if they had their full strength side, Jacob Saifidi, Daniel Saifidi, Tarek Sims, oh. it's a different footy game all of a sudden. Um, so they, they are in a tough spot there. I mean, from their starting pack, I think three of them hadn't played first grade before. So very, very impressive knock by Fiji. Yeah, and that's and that's why I believe like whatever's happening there, systems, admins, player development, keep going. And I think Petro Sivanasiva has quite a lot to do with it. I, I could be wrong, but keep doing it. What an end! I, I was so impressed by Fiji, as you said, going in half time, still in the game against the Australian squad. And then I think when you really look at the Australian squad play, you go, "We are embarrassing, embarrassed with riches, like compared to these other nations." And so for them to do that, I thought it was super impressive. I, um, I'm excited for Fiji. I really am. I, I love watching them play. I love the hymn before the game. It's, they're an exciting nation, and they, they absolutely did their country proud. There's no denying that. Now, let's get across to the Australian side. Teddy, fuck, at 18 tackle breaks. 
is unbelievable. Um, the Fox was outstanding. Trell was silky. Valentine Holmes got through a bunch of work. Um, I thought Tina Fossil or Malawi was outstanding. Um, but the man of the match for me was Harry Grant. He was fucking unbelievable. Come off the bench. He played 42 minutes, had 118 metres, 22 tackles, zero misses. But, uh, sorry, that's not Harry. Uh, he had, sorry, he had 46 minutes. That was uh, Paddy Carrigan. At 46 minutes, he scored a try. He set up a try, ran for just under 100 metres. Um, he had five tackle breaks. He had two line breaks. He had two offloads, 27 tackles, and zero misses. Harry Grant was absolutely exceptional. And, you know, as long as his body is good and he's good to go, we are in for an exciting ride this next 10 years. He was fucking phenomenal. And I, I think the score was 18-4 at the moment where Harry Grant, he nailed a 40-20, one of the better ones you'll see. Then the next set he scored himself. And you just see it just broke the heart of Fiji straight away. And, uh, like, it's kind of reminded me of when Harry came on. I can't remember what year it was, 2021, when he came on in that Origin game. And as soon as he stepped on the field, the Blues just went to water. We just had no answer for him. And, you know, I've been saying it for a long Like, I, I think he's, he's the, the best running nine in rugby league by far and away now. He is just incredible. And, I, you know, against Fiji, whatever. He does it in state of origin as well. It's not a Fiji thing. It's yeah. a Harry Grant thing. Like, he is just incredible. And it's crazy to think that, you know, Ben Hunt will still be the starting nine. And I completely <laughs> understand why. But as you said, we are just embarrassed for how much talent we've got. One thing came to mind watching Harry Grant, and it was when he scored his try, and it's it's probably a, an old saying you, you speak about the best players in the world and, and even better in the world, like in their, their eras. I know Harry's not quite there yet, obviously. He's very young, but you talk about them having time, and it's generally a, you know, a saying associated with halfbacks a lot of the time, maybe a fullback, Cameron Smith at hooker, just these players who have time. And that it's a thing that you say, oh, it can't be taught, or it's just a gift. And to a degree, it can't be taught, but when Harry Grant darted out for his try, he's got the ball in both hands, got it up above his eyes, he's jinking it one way, jinking another way, his eyes are following it. So what that's doing is the defensive line is sitting there going, shit, I've got no idea which of the four options this boat's going to go. And he's selling for it once, which means they have to hold back in D and you're getting time. So it's like, yeah, it's a natural gift, but you know, I'm not, not saying that time can't be taught in these players. The try scored, he did that, on their line where teams should be rushing up to shut down the play. And they all just held back, held back. About five seconds later, uh, a Fijian player shot off his line. Harry went, all right, that's my route. Slice straight through and scored a try. It was his ability to make a def defensive player sit back and watch is incredible. Yeah, and on that play there too, like we obviously we mentioned him before and he'll be a superstar, just be patient. But you could see Josh Wong came up on that play and mm. before he even realised what had happened, Grant had skipped across three players and was on his outside shoulder and he was gone. The other thing, yeah, the, the, yeah. Other, the other one on Grant, when you nail that 40-20, you're just going, we see, we've seen him develop, starting to develop his kicking game. Not, not probably the strongest part of his game yet, um, long way from it to be fair, but his short game sort of came a fair way in the last 12 months in the NRL. When you nail that 40-20, you're just going, dear Lord, like if he gets that into his repertoire, that long kicking game, to accompany, you know, Hughes and Munster, who, decent long kicking games, but again, not known for them, Jesus. And that's what, like, the great players have done for so long. Like, whenever Joey and Freddie hit a 40-20, mm. you can bet your dick they're going to lay on a try that next set. <laughs> and, of course, Harry Green mm. gets out of dummy half and makes him look silly. He's, yeah, he's, he's going to be something very special, Harry. 
Um, I also thought Angus Crichton was outstanding. I mean, he is fuck. He's good. He's just he's just elite. Like he's just that step above whoever he plays. He's just that step. Like in contact, he was outstanding. Ado Carp. I mean, if you didn't need a man yelling to say, "Oi, you know that Origin situation." <laughs> Maybe bring me back into the side. Maybe bring me back into the side. He was outstanding, Bala Fox. Talk about that quickly. Now, what I'm going to do is, guys, we'll get through this real quick. We'll get to the New Zealand game really quick. i got to bounce because i got a train to catch to about a four-hour train. So we'll leave you guys to talk about things more in depth and continue on the show. But I just wanted to just let you know. Um, DCE, did he do enough to keep that spot? Let's, let's assume Cleary comes and plays well. I'm not sure how much they'll actually put into this game and the actual performance. But for me, I think DCE had to do enough for me to say, no, Cleary isn't the guy. And for me, he didn't. I I still think it it has to be Nath. Once you get Isaiah Yo back into this side, I think you'd be crazy to go in a different direction personally. I can't believe it's still an argument, to be honest, boys, that DC could potentially be over Nathan Cleary. I I heard you boys speaking about uh, on last week's podcast, and I cannot believe people are still saying, is it Cleary or DC? Of course it's Cleary. He's the best halfback and probably player in the world. Like, DC was great in this game, and not surprisingly, he's a world-class, one of the best halfbacks in the world, but Nathan Cleary's better. Yeah, and, and I, I think everyone's uh, like everyone understands that, and everyone probably agrees with it. But the way that Mal keeps talking, oh. he keeps this conversation going for me. I'm not convinced he is going to go Cleary. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a thing though. Like, there's some pretty good pundits in the game that are like, "Ooh, not sure, not sure." And I don't know whether that's you know out of respect for DC because everything is done in the game. And look, I, I I've got so much respect for DC, and he's an incredible player. He's he's outside of the one hiccup with the Titans, he's been a stalwart of like you know setting the right example, all that kind of stuff. Like he is given so much to the game and been incredible. But what are we talking about here? <laughs> what are we talking about here? We've got the back-to-back premiership winning number seven that is absolutely tearing the competition apart, tearing it apart. He won the Clive Churchill last year. Like what are we talking about? It is insane. Like again, oh, it, all respect to DC, incredible, and this is just an opinion. It's not. It's not a. a, a I think he has been amazing, but there's a like. Unfortunately, DC, the most he's gone to in the last few years is a prelim. Now, look, was he better in Game Three this year for Queensland? Absolutely, and I, you know, I sung his praises to the roof after that game. And if you were to say who was ahead of each other going into if there was an Australian camp, the next camp, I would have said you probably have to say DC because he outplayed Cleary. But that's one game in how many years now? Like DC Cleary for the what three years has been out and out the best seven in the game. Um, it's got to be it's got to be him. I think that if DC came out and absolutely killed it and was man of the match, then you, out of res- not not out of respect, but then you go yeah for sure DC should be in the conversation. You know, but I, I thought he was good. He was good, but you know he wasn't. It wasn't like he was the best player on the field. So. I think it has to be Cleary. I really do. Um, and, and again, this is no disrespect to DC as a player. He is incredible. His career is amazing. But it has to be Cleary. It's his time. Give him the seven jersey. Even though, Don't get me started on that fucking number. This, this numbers <laughs> debacle, it is an absolute joke. It is a joke. And whoever made the decision, you know, I'm sure they had good intentions, but it is a terrible decision. 
It is a terrible decision. No one likes it. It doesn't add anything to the game. It adds nothing. Tell me a good. Tell me one good thing this gives to the game. One good thing. I'd say, oh, I think the only Zero. good thing it gave to Mal Meninga was that he didn't have to pick his fucking halfback yet. That's it. <laughs> I can't think of any other positive that can possibly come out of it. Like I was saying on my podcast the other day, like this is the time where we get to show rugby league to the world. If you haven't seen it before, imagine trying to explain it to people. I was having trouble. That's I, I, you're watching and you're going. Oh, oh, you got to. You got to. Every time you see a player run the ball, you go. Oh, you ask yourself again, like, oh, who's that? Who's that? It is terrible. Change it. Yeah. Shocking decision. Shocking decision. I cannot express that enough. Now, guys, quickly, I'll talk about New Zealand really quickly. Um, I just want to get out of the way. Lebanon, absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. I would go as far to say as this. Tactically, they were as good. Cohesively, they were as good as New Zealand. The only difference was New Zealand were bigger, faster, and stronger. And the, the physicality that New Zealand could bring, that was the difference. Lebanon were by far, in my opinion, the standout side of the weekend in regards to how many players they have in NRL and what they did. Uh, their game plan was great. Their cohesiveness was great. Their line speed was great. I mean, their forward pack was tiny compared to the New Zealand one, tiny. And they ripped and teared all game. Um, so I just want to give a quick shout out to, to Lebanon. I thought they were outstanding. I thought their game plan was great. So is it Michael Chicka that's taking care of it? Mm. Look, I just I was super impressed. Now, quickly on to New Zealand. Joey Manu was fucking unbelievable. That's that individual try, and I in some you know a lot of people are going to say, "Oh, it was against Lebanon." Yeah, yeah, okay, cool, cool. Sorry, that was unbelievable. Chip over the top, about four tackle breaks. One of the best tries I've seen in a World Cup. And you know, I know we, we talk about the Greg English throwing back over his. You know, that's probably one of the greatest ones, but. I understand Lebanon aren't Australia, they're not England, but they still had a red-hot crack. And I didn't see any other players doing that on the game. I didn't see anyone else taking the mickey out of Lebanon the way Joey Manu did. It was absolutely incredible. Um, I thought Brandon Smith was outstanding. Uh, Tarpanet, you know, all day long, even after he, I think he broke his nose. Nelson came on and brought a lot of energy. Uh, look, the thing, the thing with uh, the Kiwis for me, it's just cohesiveness. It's just like the Australian side. Once they started to get into that groove, you go, oh, okay, here is that that next step of rugby league. Um, if I had to rate both performances, Australia and New Zealand, I'd probably have Australia just a little bit ahead of New Zealand, but not by much. And I think that, you know, if they were to play each other tomorrow, I would have it at 50-50 essentially, or maybe 49-51 to Australia because I'm biased. I, you know, New Zealand still did what they did with us, and they had a seventy-three percent completion rate. Um, so they, they again, Australia were just a little bit better, I think, because obviously Fiji is a bit better than Lebanon. But I don't. I think the Kiwis, once they just just tweak their attack and their line running and their cohesiveness and that, I think they're there. I think they're ready to go, Guru. Yeah, for sure. I thought New Zealand, it wasn't their greatest game, but I thought Lebanon were fantastic, mate. You spoke then how brave they were. Like, there was a moment in the 45th minute, sorry, in in, in about the 50th minute where they made a break down the right-hand side and they kicked back infield and it was a 50-50 call whether it was going to be a try or not. If they would have scored that, it would have been 18-all after, uh, mm. after 50 minutes. Like, they were in this contest. you also got to remember, for the last 20 minutes, they only had 12 players on the field. New Zealand scored one try mm. in that time. Like, while while yeah, losing yeah. one of their... F- 
three or four NRL players. 100%. It was, I thought it was incredible from Lebanon. I think that they should be so proud of what they've done. And I can't wait to see how they go for the rest of this World Cup. Yeah, I agree. Look, boys, I've got to go. I've got to, but you continue on. Um, yeah, I, I, so you continue on, obviously, preview and reviewing the round. Um, but yeah, I thought Lebanon were outstanding. I thought the Kiwis, once they saw it, they just got to sort out their cohesiveness. There were so many times, I think they had three penalties with ball in hand. Um, once they sort that out, they're good to go. So although some some may say they're a bit underwhelming, um, I mean, they were, they were a little bit underwhelming, but I think that like all the key areas that you want from a, a New Zealand side, super physical, super aggressive through the middle, getting up the field, getting to certain points, they nailed. It was just that last little finishing touch that they were missing. Um, and, yeah, massive shout-out to Lebanon. But, guys, I've got to love you and leave you. Uh, I'll see you next week. Uh, and, uh, anyway, ev- everyone that's listening right now, continue to listen. The boys are going get, to get, give a deeper breakdown. Uh, apologies I couldn't stay longer. Uh, and I'll see you all next week. Timmy, I'll tell you what was the one thing that stood out for me with this New Zealand side Whenever Joey Manu gets into dummy half, wherever you are on the field, you just hold your breath. You sit on the edge of your seat. I was thinking next year, can you imagine when the Roosters are 10 metres out, you got Joey Manu and Brandon Smith. Are they the two best players out of dummy half in the red zone in this competition or what? Mate, can we just uh, not bypass, before we get to how much of a freak Joey Manu is, the fact that you've just been handed the keys to the kingdom, <laughs> the bloke in a bar kingdom, you've brushed brushed that pretty quickly, mate. By the time we get through the end of this podcast with, with, with our fearless leader, Kempi, gone, you're going yeah, yeah, yeah. to need one of them suitcases you was talking about to carry the tickets around you've gotten yourself. Jesus. Didn't deserve that, but that's fine. Yeah. Joey Manu, let's go. <laughs> Joey Manu, oh my goodness. Um, I'm really intrigued to see how it plays out when they get to some of the bigger games at the end of the tournament because Joey Manu... Like he just gets better every game he plays, and in some of these softer games that the Kiwis do play, they're not going to be able to tackle the bloke. He's so strong, so agile. I just, it's lovely to watch. But what intrigues me come when they let's say they face the Australians come the semi final. The fact that he's not a noted ball playing fullback by any means. In mm. fact, he does not enjoy passing the ball. He threw a really good pass for I think it was a Rapana try. Um, which impressed me. And so it's not to say even that he maybe doesn't have the passing game. It's just Joey Manu's mindset is catch the ball and run. And and he generates a lot of second phase play and bust tackles and offloads, but the catch pass that we know is so uh, vital to a fullback's role in the current game, it's not Joey. So they're going to be two very contrasting styles of footy when we get deeper into the tournament in, say, Kangaroos v Kiwis game. And this is where we all fall over at the stats when he plays fullback 5-8. <coughs> the reality is, you know, he played fullback, I think, against Canberra that day. He played 5-8 against the Dragons that day. He's now played fullback against Lebanon. Kangaroos is going to be a test that he hasn't yeah. come up against at fullback. So I'm very, very keen to see how he handles that. I also can't wait to see this Kiwi forward pack. And this is where I think, once again, credit to Lebanon – this Kiwi forward pack is unbelievable. Bromwich, Brandon Smith, JFH, Isaiah Papali, Kenny Bromwich, Joey Tapanay. For them to even be in the same ballpark as that forward pack, and, incredible. And then you look at the Lebanese forward pack who, you know, with all due respect, I'd, I'd hardly heard of a player in, in that side, uh, in, in the forward pack. So a lot of their NRL contingent were backline players for them. And they had, I think, 
Had Romanos, has he played a game for Met? Oh, I think he's played one or two first grade games. Outside of that, I don't think any of them have played first grade. There's been a few guys that have yeah. played a few games for Lebanon now, uh, but a lot of these guys haven't played NRL. And coming up against this Kiwi side, like that, that, that is close to the best forward pack you could pick in the mm. world. Not just New Zealand. That is incredible. So for them to show a bit of fight there, I thought that was incredibly oh. impressive. But I am very excited to see this New Zealand forward pack go up against another one of the big powerhouses over the next few weeks. Yeah, it is. And it'll be interesting. And, and Kempe touched on before that he had maybe Australia marginally ahead of the Kiwis in terms of their round one performances. I've got Australia in front. I, I thought I thought Fiji were probably a bit stronger a rugby league nation at the moment, particularly on paper, than Lebanon, as, as gallant as Lebanon were. But... You know, Australia conceded two tries, but they were both off kicks. It was in wet conditions. They completed well. It was their first, I think, game in three years, was it? And they looked very, very classy. So I had Australia on top. That being said, and another thing you touched on on the podcast last week, Guru, but we know New Zealand build into their tournaments. They never fire from the one-off game here or there or early on. They build and they build. So it's not to be concerned with, but, uh, yeah, it's it's – shaping up to be something special. I don't know. It's easy to say the Kangaroos have still got Isaiah Yeo and Nathan Cleary to go in. The Kiwis have still got Jerome Hughes to go back yeah. in. And he is by far and away their best seven. I think he's the second best seven in the world after Cleary. So obviously the Kangaroos have got a lot to come back. But the Kiwis, they've still got an absolute superstar to come back into that side. So I thought Foz was really good when he played halfback in this game. So if you're the Gold Coast Titans, I'd be excited watching that. thought he moved the ball around well. Everything was great. But getting Jerome Hughes back is going to be massive for that Kiwis side. Now we've got two, the last two games which we haven't spoken about just yet. Uh, Italy 28 over Scotland 4. Italy coming in at 4 dollar dues in that game. Very, very good value if you got on them. A 28 to 4 victory. Uh, mate, what a month for Nathan Brown. He's gone from unwanted in first grade, seemingly unwanted in reserve grade, playing in NRL grand final. Captain of Italy in this game. What do you think of his performance? He was really good, wasn't he? And it was interesting to see uh, his transformation from going from the NRL, playing very, very limited games with Parramatta this season. Obviously, he got a stint in the grand final there, but playing as their lock and just the ball playing. Yep. Like, this is clearly a systematic thing coming through Parramatta that they've taught Junior Bolo, Nathan Brown, Ryan Madison. Again, I know there's some pedigrees there with these guys that there is some ball playing in their history, but Brown's ball playing as that link man at 13 was really, really impressive. So Parra is just doing something remarkable there with whoever the passing coach is. And uh, yeah, he, he was impressive as skipper for Italy. And like, I don't know if he is. He's still at Parramatta next year. I'm not sure if he is, but like, if he's available. I don't think he is, is he? Or like... I, I don't know who bloody knows. Surely the Melbourne. If I'm the Melbourne Storm, I'd be oh, looking into that very quickly. He's such a talented young guy. A few other guys that stood out for me in that game. Uh, I've obviously got the fullback who I've spoken about a bit over the last few years. He's in the Melbourne Storm system. Luke Porcelli scored the first try. I couldn't find a market on it, Timmy. Could you fucking believe it? I was filthy when I woke <laughs> up and saw it. He scored the first meaty. Uh, the winger Jake Mason. He scored three tries. He had a cracking game. He actually bombed uh, the first one of the game as well. So he could have had four under his belt there. He was great. The standout for me, though, was the 5'8". Um, Jack Campagnolo, I believe it's pronounced, uh, he was sensational in this game. I believe he's coming through the reserve grade system for South Sydney. I, I had a look at his stats today. He sort of played a bit of hooker, a bit of 5'8 last year. Uh, very, very impressive. Scotland, obviously not their greatest performance. They were pretty short favourites here. I think they were like a dollar fifty or so. So uh, pretty devastating for them. Probably the two standouts for me. Ewan Aitken, he set up a try late. Uh, not nice little play, and... 
Kane Lynette, little throwback, playing mm. in the back row for uh, Scotland. I haven't seen the I name. Think, I think Lynette having the uh, the grand final winning strike centre for the Cowboys was what sort of swayed the odds a little bit in Scotland's favour, but one the bookies got wrong. Yeah, good to see you, you, you and Aiken, though. He had a good solid game and got a reward at the back end, uh, setting up a try there. But yeah, Italy, uh, the little surprise packet coming out of the first week, I think, if, unless you want to call England a surprise packet. I think Italy, they were the team that probably flew under the mm. radar that were the most impressive, uh, obviously led by Nathan as you said, playing an incredible little link role there in that side. Uh, the last game and the only Sorry, one... I just want to give one quick yep. shout-out. Uh, Ethan Atoli playing for playing for Italy. Uh, went to school with him at Marsland. He's a, he's a cracker bloke player. Made five tackle breaks, made a break, uh, 115 metres. So good to see a Marsland boy killing it in the World Cup. One of the great families, the Natolis. They all love it, don't they? Love it. <laughs> love it. Uh, now, the last game that we haven't spoken about yet, uh, Ireland against Jamaica. Uh, I'd be telling a porky pie if I said I got up at 3 a.m. for this one. Uh, <laughs> Ireland winning this one 48-2. Luke Keary, he obviously starred for Ireland. There was a couple of other guys in this side that have played a bit of NRL over the last few years or over in the Super League. Milo, the fullback, I've seen him play a few times. He's a handy player. He obviously had Luke Keary. Jermaine Joliffe from the Gold Coast Titans, he lined up in the front row. Uh, a little throwback, uh, James Hassan, who played for mm. the Cronulla Sharks and I think Parramatta and Manly maybe. Uh, it feels like he's been gone a long time. He made an appearance here. Harry Rushton, who of course, I think he's returned to the Super League now, but uh, you can probably talk about him a little bit more. He's a very talented guy that I'm surprised. Did he end up playing first grade or? He did, yeah. He, he did, went yeah. all right. Got, I got thought a, he was very good. a handful good. of games. He's, he's a good player, uh, Rushton, so surprised to see him maybe not starting. This one came did come off the bench and the other one, little mate Brent O'Hagan. Uh, I don't think Brent ever played NRL, but he was at the Raiders playing reserve grade. Matty Speed, we had a good fella before. Brent, one of the great, great fellas, plying his trade over. I think he's in um, the championship over in England and a uh, bad bit of meat for his country. So a great story there. And in the most Rugby League World Cup story of the Rugby League World Cup, Ireland made the late decision to start O'Hagan over Joshua Cook from the Canterbury Bulldogs. Yeah. They got their team list in late, so they burnt an interchange before they got on the field. So a <laughs> bit of controversy to kick off there. Uh, Josh Cook, of course, at the Canterbury Bulldogs at the moment. He's off contract next season, though. Uh, so he's playing for a contract there as well. Mate, as far as Jamaica goes, scored two points. Um, and it should be noted. Their first points they've ever scored in the Rugby League World Cup. So they were down about a thousand to nil on halftime and they took the shot at penalty. So uh, the boy you could tell the boys kind of wanted to put the arms up and celebrate, but obviously they were still in the contest and whatnot. But um, Jamaica, a side that we haven't seen at the Rugby League World Cup before, from my memory anyway. So to see them score two points, still a good knock. How exciting for them, mate. One of the great stories. That them boys will have this for the rest of their lives. So they're in a rugby league world cup. I, as again, I, I don't know anything about any of the players, but uh, I'm sure there's some cracking stories that will come out across the course of the world cup and, and good luck to them. Yeah, for sure. Now, we have still got a few more games left in round one. Tomorrow, uh, you will see Tonga and Papua New Guinea if you're in Australia. That is 5.30am. Definitely one that I'll be getting up for. Played at one of the great stadium names of all time. Totally wicked stadium. Very <laughs> creative. Uh, and then Thursday, 5.30am, we've got Wales taking on the Cook Islands, and that will round out the first round. I actually think that game will, will, will be a good one. The, the, the Welsh team, they always seem to surprise at these World Cups. Mm. They're always pretty decent. Cook Islands obviously littered with a couple of first graders here and there. And then we roll into round two. So Saturday, the 22nd of October, 5.30am, the Kangaroos open up round two, taking on Scotland. Then Sunday, 12.30am, so pretty much Saturday night, Fiji take on Italy. That one I'm super excited yeah. for. 
they, they're two teams that impressed me in round one. Fiji, despite losing the Kangaroos, I thought they were really solid. Italy, an upset victory. I'm really looking forward to seeing them go around. Sunday, 3 a.m., England taking on France, 5.30 a.m. Sunday. She can go back-to-back, three in a row there on Sunday morning. New Zealand take on Jamaica in what could be one of the great onslaughts of all time, unfortunately. I think they'll put 100 on them. I was going to say, will will we see the three digits come? Look, if Ireland are going to beat them 48-2, what are the Kiwis going to do to them? I took uh, Joey Manu as uh, top try scorer for the Kiwis, so I'm praying his name for that one. I'm sucking out after 26 that. to one. You Love that. Uh, then Monday, 12:30 a.m. We've got Lebanon taking on Ireland. Another game that I'm looking forward to. Uh, I, I think that that one will be another good one. Monday, the 24th of October, 3 a.m. Samoa taking on Greece, and then Tuesday, the 25th of October, Tonga taking on Wales, and then we round out. Uh, round two with Papua New Guinea taking on the Cook Islands, 5.30 a.m. Wednesday morning. Mate, is there a game or a matchup of players or something that sort of stands out for you there? It's, it's a bit of a weird week round two. Yeah, I mean, look, probably not going to be the most entertaining round of the World Cup. Uh, we'll we'll have a result by the time this has gone live. But Morgan Esgray is a player that I've always watched quite closely during his time at the Catalan Dragons. And he is the French fullback. And he was just, with ball in hand, he's absolutely electric he's beautiful to watch but he's a tiny little french fella and defense isn't his strong point but my god the bloke can move so really excited to see how s gray and the french side go uh that's to cap off round one as i said we would have had a result by now and then yeah round two i think i'm with you the, the fiji italy game that's with the way italy performed in particular that could be tighter than people think and i think that could be the game of the round yeah, just in that Fiji-Italy game, worth keeping on the, the two fullbacks. Obviously, um, Taruva from the Penrith Panthers. We know how talented he is. And I mentioned the other one, uh, Polselli for the Italian side. Two guys that have been dominating reserve grade the last few years, who I think are both first grade ready. Taruva, obviously, he's been there, he's done it, and he's played very well. But uh, Polselli, I don't think he's that far off either. So plenty to watch there as far as round two of the World Cup. It's going to be a cracker. Mate, anything else to add? Well, good, mate. I think bring on round two in the West World Cup and uh, congrats on, on the debut hosting duties of Bloke in a Bar. Thank you, mate. Let's hit the frog and toe. We'll be good, Matty. Make sure you go out this weekend, grab yourself a case of Bloke in a Bar, get all the stockist lists on the website, as Kempi always says. Shockingly, he's better at it than me. <laughs> but make sure you go out, grab yourself a case and enjoy round two of the World Cup.